Hi and welcome to the Sleep Mums A to Z's where we leave no stone of parenthood unturned. Oh, oh wait a minute, oh my god, that's not a stone! (laughs) I'm Kat Cubie, broadcaster, writer and sleep explorer and this is Sarah Carpenter, baby and child expert and keeper of the holy grail of Z's. Together, we are the Sleep Mums. I'm not sure if that stone joke landed, actually. (laughs) It's never a stone. (laughs) When I became a parent, I struggled with being called mum. In some ways, I think I still do, which I know is weird given that we call ourselves the Sleep Mums. I think it's largely because mum is my mum, who whilst I love dearly is very different from me. So when my kids started calling me mama, I definitely jumped on that bandwagon. I mean, there were t-shirts and things. So I was like, yes, merch, I'm a mama. (laughs) And when my daughter was born, which was around the time Sarah Turner started her unbelievably successful blog, The Unmumsy Mum, I could not have related more. That's me too, I thought. And clearly a whole generation of parents felt the same. That wonderful blog that connected so many has now had tens of millions of hits. She's written three Sunday Times bestsellers that have been translated into 15 languages and won countless awards. Plus, early next year, she's releasing her first fiction book, Stepping Up, which promises to be as wittily entertaining as her real life writing. She lives in Devon with her husband and three boys, Henry, Jude and Wilf. Hello. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you for having me. It's so good to have you. Do you do you find like people people don't call you a mumsy mum, do they? They do call you Sarah, right? You know what? It's a it's a mixed bag. Um, most people call me Sarah, but I do sometimes get people say, say you know, oh, you know, excuse me, are you the unmumsy mum? And also, I work in a co working office, and there's a guy in there that just refuses to call me anything other than unmumsy. So it's like unmumsy. <laughs> Yeah, oh, then, um, do you ever have a moment where you're like shit I wish I'd called myself something yeah, different yeah I do actually I do um what would the alternative name have been you know it's really interesting because I think um it like the unmumsy mum has become such uh I mean it is me and I am her but also it isn't me and I'm not her does that make sense like we are we it's kind of I had to come up with um, a something and I often get asked kind of what's the inspiration for the name and where did it come from? And it was a real split second decision. Like for me, um, I felt a little bit like I didn't fit in the club of motherhood in a way that other people did, or at least I perceived that other people did. So um, I felt like everybody else had their shit together at all times and I didn't and the mums that always had their shit together were kind of the ones that I thought were mumsy but that wasn't like in a negative way um, it was almost like they just knew what they were doing and I felt unmumsy in comparison so it was like a it was like a feeling rather than a state of being yeah I yeah when I started the blog I just had to pick a url and for the blog and a handle on twitter and it, I'm not joking it was like a five minute decision where I went what can I call myself how do I feel um and it was like well I don't I'm not unmotherly it's not like I'm not maternal I am I am but it's like it was just a random oh that will do uh because obviously I never expected it to kind of explode in the way that it did in some ways, though, I think that 
actually speaks volumes about your writing and about you in some ways like you you tap into something that we all feel and it just is like you're just like yeah and and then everyone goes yes that's exactly how I feel too yeah and it's I think I can I'm definitely you know it's kind of eight eight years since I started the blog I think and um I'm definitely guilty of overthinking it at times and thinking I just don't like this name anymore. I don't relate to it in the way that maybe I did then. Um, But also I'm so super kind of proud of where it's got me that I'll always have that kind of um, connection to it. So it'll always be, it will always be me and I will always relate to it, but I don't feel necessarily the same about the name. I think I'm not sure if I would have picked, I don't know what I would have picked, but I don't think it would have been that if I'd been starting out now. But it is what it is. What it is. It's part of the. It's part of the story. So. Yeah, I, th- I think, like as I said at the start, like many of us have this battle with our parentness when we have a child because you sort of envisage your own parents, whether that's good or not, or whether that's cool. <laughs> and as you say, it's not a rejection of being a parent, but it is about identity. Yeah, and like, like my mum is mumsy to me. Like you know, when I was growing up, we would be like, "That's a mumsy outfit." And as you say, like it's not like it's derogatory as such but it definitely wasn't cool and I was like I feel young and cool I don't feel mumsy yeah (laughs) even though I am a mum I'm not mumsy but like I mean you know I'm obviously as you are as a writer like I love words I'm obsessed with the meaning and I think the meaning around a lot of these things in terms of parenthood is really important like Sarah and I talk about that all the time in terms of like these words or phrases that we use when we're talking to new parents mean a lot because we're in a fragile place and I think it's totally normal in some ways like that's what saying like at the outset to be like I don't feel like a mum that's or mumsy that's my mum but then like Sarah and I talked about this the other week like Harry her eldest calls her mum and my kids still do call me mama but I'm getting more mums are creeping in as they get older and I don't I don't have that same feeling of being like oh no that's not me if that makes sense I know it it sounds like I am totally over (laughs) yeah I think we do and I think if if I was kind of looking at the traditional mumsy like meaning the kind of that pick springs to mind like you say it's almost that kind of um I don't know not very cool and and kind of um given up on given up on life a little bit dowdy a bit it kind of never really was that. But ironically, I have become mumsier every yes. year, every year since I decided I was the unmumsy mum. Yeah. <laughs> I do things that could not be more, in inverted commas, mumsy. So I don't know. I'm kind of, you know, really I should be called like, you know, didn't used to be that mumsy, but now is really quite. <laughs> um, but it's not as catchy. <laughs> but I think that is totally, like I say, I think that's like the the sort of journey that we all kind of go on because it's like you know parenthood is this like quote that you're kind of like you know it's going to happen but you're kind of thrown at and you put on you're like oh that doesn't feel quite right but obviously it gets comfier over time or maybe skinny jeans is a more appropriate (laughs) like you first put them on you're like no that's not comfortable at all and then you're like they're fantastic (laughs) or maybe that's also because I'm getting old and now I am (laughs) mumsy started blogging obviously quite a few years ago now um, and partly because you were disillusioned with the parenting advice that you were finding online and that's totally why we kind of started sleep mums as well because you know people are picking through so much and trying to find the one thing that works for them and we're kind of hoping that we're providing an easier avenue to find that but 
you know, do you think it has changed since you actually started your blog and started writing? Yeah, I do. I think the I think the parenting landscape online has shifted massively like over the last decade. So um I don't know, it's almost been something of a revolution. Um when I first started the blog, so it would have been 2013. Um, I genuinely couldn't find that much else online that sort of resonated with how I was feeling about motherhood. Like I felt like I'd, I felt like I'd been missold parenting. Like, you know, um, there were really good bits, but it was like, um, it was like buying a car without being able to look under the bonnet. Like I felt like I'd never had the kind of, that true um, vision of what parenthood would be like. Showing a shiny picture of it kind of thing, the kind of Hollywood version. Yeah, the showreel, the glossy. I can really distinctly remember having a copy of, I think it was like Boots Parenting Magazine or something. And there was a woman and she was dressed all in white and the baby was in white and she was kind of throwing this baby in the air. God, can I just say any parent that wears white jeans well, exactly. or white clothes, it like has my utmost respect. I remember once, sorry, I've totally tangented here, <laughs> but I remember once seeing not just a, a mum of a small child wearing white jeans, but a mum of a small child wearing white jeans on an aeroplane. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm, there's like admiration for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, and I just remember, these were sort of the images that were sold, you know, in print and then online as well. And I kind of, I did that thing of, you know, when you Google random stuff in the middle of the night and it would be things like, why, how can my baby still be hungry? And I think my baby hates me. And then it started to get like, you know, what if, I, you know, what if I'm, you know, is it possible to just not be cut out for it was kind of one of my, I just had this thing of what if everybody says you, you know, you're thrown in the deep end and you just get on with it and, and then, and you take one day at a time and then everything's fine. I just had this real crushing kind of um, anxiety. But what if it's not like, what if really I'm just not somebody that can be a parent? Like, what if I'm not just simply not cut out for the job and I kind of would google and we were getting on fine like on the face of it things were fine but I just had this feeling of I'm not really um I'm not enjoying it in the way that I feel other people are and so I thought either everybody else is genuinely really cherishing every moment and loving it or there's like a really big cover-up going on and um that was why I started the blog and I couldn't find a lot out there that made me feel any better so I was like right I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start writing it and then yeah obviously initially nobody was reading it like no one literally no one because I hadn't set up any social media accounts or anything was it kind of like therapy for you in that sense do you think like without that sounding a bit it was like a diary it was like um I think either my first or second post was was called other mums must be lying um and it just kind of led it I just kind of let it all out and I, I did feel I did feel better and then I decided to set up a Twitter account and um just again it was just went for at the unmumsy mum that'll do that matches the blog um you know had a few followers I think most of them were bots and then I just started sharing the blog it was really it's like it feels like such a long time ago but also I can remember it really clearly um and yeah, it was nice in a way because there was no expectation of me to, 
you do you feel that pressure now more than do you think because you're like oh yeah. shit I've got to make content yeah I, do. I mean I'm really rub- I'm a really rubbish influencer like I don't post regularly I don't um I don't have any kind of a schedule I I often you know I can go a week two weeks without posting anything on the grid then sometimes I'll just feel like it and do like 30 Instagram stories in one day like I'm super inconsistent and that's not that's not ideal but I just can't um it's probably quite healthy (laughs) yeah I just I can't force it it doesn't doesn't it just doesn't work for me to think right I need to do something on but I think I think that authenticity is really important though not just for your own kind of sanity but also for the people that that follow you because you know if it did feel kind of this contrived like oh right well it's this day and I'm posting then you start to be like well this is business it's not real but that's a very hot like the whole I mean this that's a whole other podcast (laughs) the wild world of like I guess social media and stuff but absolutely you know um I think what you're saying obviously about the images that were shown even still but I think it is better of of, of parenthood are or, or maybe it's partly what you choose to see as well because I think there is an element of before you are actually in the thick of it you think it's going to be this like rose tinted beautiful experience like I was joking to Sarah about that the other day like in terms of yes we're expecting number three I've done it twice and there's still a bit of me that's like oh well baby I'm sure baby will just slot in and you know this is how and it's like I know that's not how it works but there's some I mean maybe that's the crazy part of your brain that makes you procreate (laughs) that you think it's gonna be fine I've seen the pictures it'll be beautiful and then it's and I think in terms of the kind of shift that we've seen towards the so-called almost honest parenting movement I also think there was a point at which that kind of picked up speed and there was momentum and everybody was posting it went from that kind of rose-tinted, glossy, showreel, best bits thing to almost people only wanting to share the shit bits of their day. Does, do you know, it was like, there was a peak. I'm, I want to say, I don't know, like 2018, maybe. The point at which I think the like roots of the honest parenting movement, which was to make other people feel better, actually wound up almost running the risk of, of the opposite becoming true because people became so caught up with well it's really popular and it's really funny to say I've had a shit day and I hate my kids and is it wine o'clock and all of those things that it almost became untrendy to say do you know what I've had a really nice day and I love my kids today like so there is I or despite me being a massive champion of telling it how it is I think there is a danger in kind of I think it would be really sad if people feel like they're not able to to share the best bits because some bits are good and that's okay too. Um, It is a balance. I think it's a really weird thing. And again, I I mean, I feel like we're totally delving into like the nuances of social media, but that bad stuff gets a better response almost. Like um, people, partly because people relate to it, like, but also just because it's like the sort of deep psychology of it is that people are drawn to bad things more than good like that's what our memories do and all of that but yeah. and I I know that like from you know the wee bits and pieces obviously of, of blogging or vlogging that I have done that it can if you post something and it is really heartfelt and emotional and you get a really big response that can be a bit addictive as well so and th- but then as you say if that's 
all the stuff that you're posting, it's as one-sided as the glossy version, I suppose. Yeah. But it's hard to get a balance because, you know. I think recently I feel like it's almost leveled. It, it picked up, yeah. went crazy. Everybody, you know, there was like a stage where you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't go online without somebody having posted a blog about having a really shit day or what have you. And it was like, um, they were, it, it felt kind of like that was all that, that was all that was allowed. And now I feel like it's leveled out a bit and you, you know, I don't know. I, I, I like following the accounts where you'll have somebody who'll be really open and honest if they have a really terrible day. But yeah. Also they might write the next post might be a really heartfelt one about how much they're going to miss their some money's at nursery or because that's that's real parenting isn't it like the highs and the lows and and also I think that quite often those feelings can be at the same time almost like that you know you are so desperate for them to go to bed but also as soon as they are in bed you miss them like that's it that those feelings or that you just want to be away from them just for a second whilst at the same time the thought of being away from them makes you feel sad like it is it is the paradox of being a parent definitely I think you're known for occasionally sharing shocking realness maybe not just the kind of like there are some stuff that I think people like wow she's so you know (laughs) open I don't know what the word would be um and some of that is maybe like oversharing please I know I think it is that honesty and it's that authenticity as well um and it's you know I know it's occasionally led to the haters that we yeah, that's a whole other side as well like the whole slummy mummy thing and yeah. fish finger gate and yeah. um which honestly all of that just makes me so mad essentially we are still trying to gloss over the realities that all of our children like beige food um, so, so I want you to ask what are the big bits of parenting that are a lie that still exist I guess um for me, I think I, I always, I always like. I suppose you never know, do you? When you look at somebody else's, um, either on social media or you speak to somebody else, the the little kind of bullshit detector in my brain goes off when people are talking about outings with multiple children, and nothing seems to have gone wrong. And I'm like, either so, not like the day to day stuff, but like. Oh, God, yeah. oh, we all had a really lovely day at Lego Land. I'm like, yeah, no, okay. But I just, I'm just like, where's the bit where, you know, you queued up and then you queued up for an hour and then the kid didn't want to go on the ride or, you know, um, somebody pooed themselves or there was a, you know, there was a some kind of meltdown because, you know, the ham sandwiches were weren't sliced the right way or like just that kind of, um sometimes I feel like we'll go on and like often the days with the with the highest expectation end up being the most disappointing that's totally what I was gonna say like at any time I try and do something nice that I've sort of thought it through specifically like yeah. um, again Sarah and I were actually talking about this the other week particularly with a, a sort of impending new arrival I was I like took um, my daughter for ice cream to spend some time with her as a nice there's a night like I mean not a massive day out thing honestly massive tantrums because of this that and it was it was horrible it was such a horrible experience and I was like I don't why am I trying to do this and Sarah was saying the same with her eldest that it's like it's almost like they want it so much they can't 
manage it themselves and yeah. so it stops being fun and so that's totally right that like you know I could have posted a picture of us with our ice creams looking smiling I'm sure I probably could have persuade like bribed her to get that with like extra toppings or whatever but the reality was it wasn't a nice experience and I I agree that sometimes we are still regularly getting shown that image without the reality yeah and I don't mind I understand why somebody would if you're talking about like the actual photo if you you know the actual photo that you might choose out of a day it was like a couple of a couple of years ago so kind of pre-covid oh them days um there was a local car car show thing and they, they you know they'd very cleverly they'd put it on father's day so that you know they knew what they were doing and um <laughs> my husband James loves he's really into like cars and stuff and um I saw it advertised I thought it's only down the road it's father's day we can go for an hour or two um you know he'll enjoy it it'll be a really nice family day out you know it's when the narrator's voice kicked yeah. <laughs> it was not a nice <laughs> um and I think I feel like speaking to other people you go what did you do at the weekend and they go oh, we went to the car show and like our reality at the car show was we got there the kids were kind of in a really narky mood anyway um Wilf was just I'm not I don't think in three and a half years of life he's ever behaved as badly as he did at the car show on Father's Day that day and nobody had a nice time like no one so it got to the point where I just said we were stood kind of in a crowd um Wilf was on James's shoulder sort of kicking him watching somebody do some stunts on bikes or something Henry and Jude were moaning um somebody needed the toilet but there was a big queue and I just went is anybody having a nice time anyone any of the five is anyone having fun no let's go home and um that is what I think you don't see enough of yeah just so we tried but it didn't work out uh yeah because otherwise it makes you think, Do, are, is everybody else here just having a really nice time? Like, I've got a picture and I didn't post it because I, I do sometimes sort of have that thing of, oh, I don't know. It's a bit, but I've got a picture of, a, you know, you know, when you literally have to drag the kid back, like, it, you know, it's kind of like a, they won't go. He was kind of a real force sticking, you know, wouldn't wouldn't be carried, wouldn't do anything. And I just it's just like, wow, but quite funny because it's kind of trying to steer him back to the car and then in the background are all these like sports and high performance cars that James hadn't had a chance to look at any of them um but you know so we can laugh about it now um but I think that's the thing I find sometimes when I'm talking to people I'm like what did you do at the weekend and oh we went here we did this I'm just waiting for somebody to go but you know what It, it we we didn't actually have a nice day but it never comes it's always like yeah it was great I'd really recommend it and I'm like oh I think that's a classic though what you just said you're like everyone's having a miserable time they've said I'm having a miserable time then you try and get them to leave and they're like no I do not want to go I want to see the bikes as we kind of feed out of the car park so it was um it was just one of the we've had lots and we have lots of really really nice family days out but it's just I think that to me I always feel a little bit like um people give you the headline news but they just give you the positive headline news and not the actually no it all went all went tits up and we just left um I wonder if that's like not to be kind of like being (laughs) difficult I suppose but like I guess it's because quite often in the same way that when people say how are you they don't actually want to know yeah that's true that is true um but yeah I don't I don't know I feel like um it's that I think people are better better nowadays at 
at giving you kind of the warts and all account. But just sometimes I'm like, you know, when you just have that little little niggle in your brain that goes, really? Really, though? Was that, you know, everybody had a nice time, did they? Well, everybody, all day, in the car for three hours, on the way there, stuck in traffic, <laughs> and they ran out of food, you know, and baby was teething, but you all had a really lovely day, all day. Okay, fine. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's just my experience. That no, I no, I completely agree, and I think it like that goes along with every single step of the way, and that's what I'm saying. That you know, even when you know it's not like that, you still envisage it to be like that. And I don't know if well, maybe it's just because I'm quite a positive person, so I always think, well, it'll be fine, it'll be great, and <laughs> yeah, and you have to still, you have to, you have to do stuff, right? Because if you didn't, you would just and and actually. Just then everyone would be angry at home. <laughs> it's better to be angry out. <laughs> nothing, nothing is as relentless as uh, an entire day, all of you inside the house, I don't think. So I, you know, I would rather that everybody lost their shit at a big car show. You know, at least we at least we got out, um, a bit of fresh air and then back and then back again. The home days are that you know, other Which we've all had to do yeah. far, far too many of over the last yeah. few months. I know I wrote I think it was in I don't. I can't remember which book it was in, but I had written that this is pre, pre again, pre COVID times, and I'd written kind of staying at home all day with young kids is almost always a terrible idea. And then when people were reading my book, but like during the pandemic, I kept getting people messaging me and screenshotting it, and being like, "Yeah, thanks for this." And I was like, "I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know what totally. was ahead." That was when you could just go out every day. I'm sorry. That kind of brings us nicely on to sleep, I think, talking about parenting lies. <laughs> and possibly one of my favourite quotes, uh, not just of yours, but like all time, I could even get it made up into a print and put it in the kitchen. Um, you wrote in your book, if sleep were a drug, I would be the first to lock myself in the bathroom and snort it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing that you care about sleep almost God, as much as we do. Yeah. Um, so- Tell us about sleep in your house. Um, how was it with all three of yours? What and what do you think are the best and the worst pieces of sleep advice when it comes to kids? Uh, do you know, I think I think you underestimate, don't you, before you become a parent, how much of your general state of well being is based on how much sleep you've had and the quality of that sleep and because the status quo for most people obviously you get people that have sleep problems before they have kids but for most of us the kind of you know the kind of base level is well you just get you just get the sleep that you need and then you start the next day and god you never realize that that's a privilege like that you just just well I'm a bit tired so I'm going to go to bed and then I'll sleep until I've got to get up but then it's okay because two days a week I can have a lie-in um yeah, you just don't you, don't, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Um, and that equilibrium, I think, like even say if, you know, in pre-kids days, if you're going out and having benders at weekends, you still have so much time to recover, like that you're like, you can sleep all day. And I think the the relentlessness of sleep deprivation and exhaustion is you just never like if there was such a thing as a sleep bank you never make it up as a parent because even once they are sleeping there's so many other things that happen that mean that you're not yeah I think so our three boys have been like 
diff- all, all different in terms of sleep, but they kind of leveled out to be quite similar. We're in, like, Wilf will be four in December, and he's our youngest, so we're in a reasonably strong sleep position now. Um, all of the kids sleep through the night. Wilf does still sometimes appear in our bedroom at four in the morning, and I have no parenting backbone to put him back. I just Do you still find yourself going, oh, Wilf? That was what I remember. <laughs> Yeah. Also, I have well, he's not hopefully still going to be getting in our bed when he's 18. So, you know, it's fine. Come, come in for a cycle. And he does just go to, he does just go to sleep. And it doesn't mean that I found he doesn't, it doesn't mean that he tries to, you know, he will always start the night in his own bed. But quite often we will wake up and here he is again what time did he come in we'll go nobody can remember I don't know he just appears like a little assassin and um, in he gets but Henry was like oh it's just those first few months when they're they're absolutely brutal Henry the plus the plus side with Henry was he did start sleeping through like it wasn't it wasn't I think he was like six months or something and it was like which was amazing um, but he also dropped daytime naps completely by his first birthday. So by the time Henry was one, he wasn't napping. And I can remember I, I, when he started with the childminder, she said, oh, what time does he have his naps? And I went, oh, he hasn't had a nap in about four months. And she looked at me like, okay, but that's not right. And he will have a nap here. Yeah. Um, and then I went to work. And I came and picked him up at half past five, and she handed me a drink. He hasn't napped. She hasn't. Napped. <laughs> Wild eyed. <laughs> but he will sleep through the night. But then I found that was hard because I felt like I was out of sync with all my friends whose babies had naps and they had very strict routines. So, well, well I'll come to Monkey Music, but it'll have to be this session because it's after the morning nap. Or I can come round, but I'll have to leave. And you're busy. busily trying to fill your entire day with a one year old. <laughs> there was no time for like chores and stuff because Henry was just like ping from the morning until he went to bed so yes he would sleep at night but there was no there was no like sit down with a cup of tea while the baby's having a nap because he just didn't nap yeah, we said it before naps save lives <laughs> they, do. they do but then you've got food who I'm sure at seven would still have a nap if I said do you want to go and have a nap like he just bloody loved a nap um so but then sleeping at night was a bit more hit and miss so I don't know it's and you all, I do sometimes think if I didn't have the blog posts and social media posts and books to look back on, would I remember how brutal it was? Probably not. Like you were saying, like, I do have some lasting kind of sleep memories. Like I have this image in my head. It was after Wilf was born, actually. And he just wouldn't, you know, nights when they just won't sleep at all, when they're very new, you know, a few weeks old and you're just you're just cluster feeding and then trying to get them back to sleep and then they're sick and then you have to change everything and then it's time for another feed and it just goes on and on and on and on until the next day randomly with my daughter we watched like 18 like episodes a night of the great british menu very randomly we thought it was a calming thing before i met sarah and um yeah, so I sort of, whenever I see that on the TV or I, I hear the music, I almost get a bit of PTSD from that. Well, I just remember being in bed. So I'd, I'd, I'd like breastfed Wilf and then I'd sort of said to James, you know, can you just like, um, I, he's changed and whatever, but he's not settling. Can you kind of bounce him for a bit? And we did that and then he woke back up and then it was like this kind of thing. And, um, and I just have this. And ever people are like, oh, it's relentless, isn't it? The newborn days. I just have this really strong image in my mind. And it's of James, like, 
awake but not really awake, in his pants, bounce like quite kind of like desperately rocking, bouncing, swinging a fairly newborn Wilf who's crying on about hour five of crying. You know when you're throwing everything at them. In yeah. coal, Gaviscon, yeah. like you know, yeah. there's like, there's like it's definitely one of these things. I have something in my cabinet that will, yeah, this will help. And I just remember James's eyes. He was like, he was, he was like, he had dead eyes, and he just went, "There's no joy in this. There's no joy, there's no joy in this." As he kind of bounced the baby, and um, it just kind of like it's, it's kind of darkly funny now. But yeah. at the time, I was like, "Oh my god, what 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 has life become?" And then that awareness that I think, and then it would be that thing of you'd finally get the baby to sleep, and they'd be sleeping quite quite nicely at half five six in the morning and then another toddler would run in and then the whole day would start again and you'd be like oh my god um but yeah we we can look back on it and laugh now but I did I did find that sleep deprivation did make me feel quite vulnerable emotionally um and just like I've in the past sort of likened it to you know when your laptop or your computer's in like or your phone it goes into like power saving mode so it so all of your apps and stuff work, but they work at like a reduced capacity and the brightness of your phone dims and that's what it felt like. I felt like that. I felt like I was I'd lost my brightness. But do you know what? I think that is one of the things that really impacts how you feel about yourself. Like having started off at the beginning talking about mumsy or being a mumsy. Yeah. That like your identity is so short as well from that sort of sleep deprivation like I remember saying to a friend like I felt like a lettuce leaf like <laughs> I didn't have any likes or dislikes almost because I didn't have the energy to have them so it was like you know like I used to be really into this band. I don't even know what music I like I don't know what food I like just because I just didn't care but that almost like sort of vacuum sucks away from how you feel you are yeah and you become obsessed with sleep how yeah. much sleep you've had, how much the baby's had, how much next door's, you know, cousin. How much everyone else is having, for sure. Particularly your partner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can also, and it gets quite competitive, doesn't it? I remember going to a baby group and a woman woman said, oh, that her baby had slept through the night. And I sort of nodded. Obviously, I wanted to kill her, but I was like, yeah. Um, but then but then actually it turned, she was really super lovely and it turned out she just had really low expectations of what sleeping through the night meant so to her if they went up to bed at half 11 midnight after watching their Netflix or whatever and put the baby to sleep and the baby went through from 12 until 5 that that was she was happy that was it for her yeah I mean my maybe my expectations you're high. I'm, not, I'm talking seven till seven, love. Exactly. 100%. She had the right idea because she was like, yeah. that was like glass half full. It was a wake up call because I was presenting her and then thinking, bloody hell, my baby's been sleeping through the night for weeks if you're going off your metrics. But that's, you know, I want more. I want more. Exactly. I have like definitely said many times, like with anything in parenting, just lower your expectations yeah. and the whole, whole thing is going to be much more fun. Absolutely. <laughs> You know, when you were chatting there, like saying like if you didn't have the books and you didn't have the blog to look back on, that maybe you wouldn't look at it more rose tintedly. And I was actually wondering, making up words here, obviously, as well, but I was just wondering if maybe that is what is also helping us balance out a little bit of that kind of 
glossy image of parenting because we have so much more so many more photographs than like yeah. generations beforehand yeah and like we have the pictures of the bad day of the car show like yeah I have the picture that and I keep it on my phone as a reminder like looking awful after um like uh, my daughter was born like sucking the dummy because she wouldn't like and I look horrendous and I keep it because I want to remember that feeling almost like maybe that's a bit sick or weird of me you now isn't it it's part of it's part of your life experience so you kind of is it do you know what I mean you almost fondly look back on the memories that weren't fond like it's like um they're like battle scars in a way it's like that you know the really lowest of low the lowest of low points um you know some of the pictures that I I mean I do I have definitely I have definitely overshared I mean the classic one um the one that had way more traction than I ever thought it would online was when I took a picture after have after giving birth to Wilf of me in like you know like the um they were basically like they weren't maternity pants they were like um basically like it was like a tenor lady nappy that's what it was it was like a tenor lady I remember that picture so well because actually so um well who will be my middle um is is very close to to Wilf he he was four on on Sunday yeah so I really I related to that picture so much and it was the first time I had ever seen anything like that on social media there's been a lot since like people do that but yours was I think probably the first and every single you know person who has been in that situation was like yes like you know I remember a friend giving me a pack of ten lady pants like that like before um she gave me a basket with things in it and I looked and I was like no I'm not gonna need those like I couldn't imagine (laughs) that's what it was gonna be like about packing for the hospital bag and they let on they and they're like oh you need two packs of pads and you think yeah really but yeah I just I just remember so I had all the nice cuddly Wilf in me and Wilf in the birth pool pictures you know the classic tea and toast yeah best tea and toast ever picture but then I said to James his script is I think James was taking a picture anyway and I came I sort of literally waddled out of the bathroom in my in my nappy John John Wayne walk um and I was euphoric I've never been prouder of myself. I was like on cloud nine. And so that was kind of what I hoped the picture. Most people absolutely got it. And were like, but God, it like anything like that that goes crazy on the internet. Because then it got picked up by some random sites and papers and stuff. And then I had messages from men that were like, why have you still got a, why have you still got a baby bump if you'd had the baby? I mean, I'd had the baby like 30 minutes before. But that's why those, like, but that's, I guess, and as you said, like, at the time, that was really revolutionary. Like, I feel like we have seen, we do see a bit more of that. But, yeah, it must have been a couple of weeks after my first. I remember someone asking me when the baby's due, and I know I'm not alone in that experience. And I just went home and cried. But, yeah. like, it, you know, it does. you can't just be like, all right, the baby's got, I mean, some people obviously do so you know I'm terribly I'm so British when it comes to I don't ever want to put somebody make somebody else feel uncomfortable and I think there are times when you could say to somebody you know when you know if somebody it's rarely said with like malice or bad meaning is it and I remember I think um Wilf must have been he was at least four months old and I was taking him for a walk in a park and I had what I thought was quite a nice flowy flowy spring dress on 
and a little old lady, and God love her, she did the whole, you know, we've got your hands full with the three boys, and then she went, and baby four on the way. And um, and I just, my brain went, just correct her, just say, oh, no, actually, you know, that's just, I mean, I know Wilf's there, but he's also still apparently here. Yeah. Um, and I just went, yeah. And she yeah. went, oh, that would be nice. That would be nice, you know, like a nice yeah. evening. And I went, yeah. And just luckily I've never seen her since. But I kind <laughs> of be like, oh, how's it going? And but I just thought in that moment, it was just easier to have a pretend pregnancy. Totally. Exactly. <laughs> like, how do you find dealing with like the rubbishness of like not people, not little old ladies, yeah. but like people on the internet, like when people say mean stuff? Because you know, yeah. I'm sure they do, just because there are so many weird people who. Yeah, I've been. I think I've been fairly lucky. Like Touchwood, I've never had like really kind of. I've never had like super targeted trolling or. Um, really, really nasty, hurtful, threatening messages. And I know a lot of people that I kind of share the parenting online space with have. Um, but I think it's just that the thing that's always kind of been staggering is the way that a message or a message request or a tweet or something can come completely out of the blue and just ruin your day. Um, I remember... It's so intrusive. Yeah, and you know, like, you, oh, there was one... I have changed my... Um, I have kind of reframed how I think about messages that are critical. So if somebody wants to call me out on something I've said or the way that I've said it, and they say it in a constructive and not um, aggressive way, then I will listen. I'm, then I'm here for it, and I will listen. Yeah. Um, no, eight eight, nine years ago, me wouldn't have listened because I was too defensive and too upset and didn't have a thick enough skin. And any criticism, even if it was justified, um, just made me want to cry. So I just, I was really, really super bad at accepting any form of complaint. But I think over the years, I have realised, I have come to realise that you never know what somebody else is going through. And therefore, I can understand how out of context a post of me whinging about my three kids in any way, shape or form could be super like jarring or triggering to somebody who can't have kids, who's lost a kid, um, who, I don't know, who, who for whatever reason is having a, just a really shit time. So I have like, every now and again, somebody will say, you've written this and this has really upset me or um, I don't think you should have said this or you don't sound like you're very grateful for the life that you yeah. want or what have you. And rather than me kind of retweeting it, which to be honest, a retweet or a share or a screen grab or a story only tends to serve to encourage a pile on on that person, which yeah. aid anyone and yeah. never makes me feel any better. Um, I have in the past responded and had really good dialogues with people like email chains where somebody's messaged me and said I didn't didn't like your book at all like it, yeah. this is this is why and I sort of replied and said oh yeah I totally get that you know I'm sorry about this and um you know thank you for making me see um you know blah 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 and then actually it's opened up and we've had like a conversation and it's actually been quite it's been like the online equivalent of hugging it out and it's been like that's fine got that like I mean, that sounds like you have amazing, not just amazing sense of character, strength of character, but also empathy. And I totally, totally agree. But it doesn't matter how much you know that, as you say, in that moment when that message comes yeah. through, you, you, it, there's something quite uh, like 
primeval I think about like you read the words and you're like especially like um especially when it's about parenting because it is a personal attack then so if somebody messages me and says you know you don't deserve to have your children um it doesn't sound like you love them uh blah 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 um then as much as the rational part of my brain can go, well, they might be having a really bad day or, you know, I might have everything that they want and therefore they're thinking that I sound really ungrateful for what I have got. Um, The other part of my brain really wants to scream, but I really love my kids. Like, you should love them more than I do. I love them so much. Like, you really want to kind of, but you can't, you can't justify, you can't live like that, I don't think. Um, The only thing I have like real zero tolerance for is anybody that's kind of, super rude so I used to get comments on the blog sometimes like one woman was like you you know um you're making a career out of being a lazy skanky something 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 and then it was like merry fucking Christmas and I was like oh bloody hell um you know but so you know people anything like that would but I, I very rarely block anyone or um you know it's um it's fun. someone had been watching Die Hard yeah, yeah exactly. exactly you just I think that's the thing and it's the same with book reviews I mean book reviews are so I'm terrible because I know you can't please all of the people all of the time and you know and you probably don't want to either because you are writing you are writing honest like you are writing something different or honest so you know like if everyone was like oh that's lovely yeah, then you it's know it's really hard because it's what is what is a shame and I think it's human nature is you could have a hundred five-star reviews but they're kind of in a in an act of self-sabotage you will seek out the one-star review and then dwell on it all day that is what I, that is how we're built I mean I have got to a stage now where I just don't I don't allow myself to look at negative reviews um because they it's like that's like what I was saying we are drawn to this negativity which is what you know exists on social media as well like the bad stuff we're drawn to it we can't help ourselves you know you were saying about how um maybe you surround yourself with like the glossy rose tinted stuff before you actually become a parent because you you only know when you know right so you can't yeah um, and actually that was one of the most fascinating reviews I ever had was that somebody that gave me a one-star review who read my book in pregnancy um, and said it was like oh super negative um damaging uh you know scaremongering all yeah. of the above and then she actually got in contact six months later to say um I, I retract that review I'm sorry, it's a shit show. <laughs> because I know now, and I didn't know then what I know now, and I'm I'm sorry that I was that person, but I couldn't I couldn't appreciate what you're writing about because it hadn't happened to me yet. But now I totally get it. But also, the best thing, the best thing about that was that she was like, "So now I'd give it four stars." <laughs> I think like every single one of us would have a word with our, like our pre-parent self for any of the judgments that we had yeah, absolutely. yeah absolutely so yeah no I'm I'm, I'm like I have learned that you, I don't I don't obviously there should be zero tolerance for trolling and all the rest of it but I do always have a little bit of that view of you do put yourself out there so if people want to constructively say actually no what you've said is bullshit and this is why I'm that's fine I'm happy to I'm happy to listen um as long as you're not as long as you're not aggressive funnily enough my husband said I've always said oh it's so I hate it I hate it because it's like parenting and that's you know it's the most kind of like um emotive 
topic um actually since having like a home renovation account I've decided that nothing cuts deeper than when somebody doesn't like your interiors choices <laughs> the same thing though it's about who you are <laughs> it's like somebody could be like god you're a terrible mother for letting your your kids sleep in your bed and you've got no boundaries and you're making a rod for your own back and I'm like meh but then they're like oh that cushion's hideous hideous <laughs> so obviously we're talking about your books and I like so many others have loved your writing for years and your ability to get to the messy honesty of it all so I'm really excited you're moving into fiction and so tell us about moving from writing about real life to writing a story and all about your new book stepping up oh thank you yeah it's been um it's been quite a journey, the old non-fiction to fiction adventure. So I've stayed with my... Was that always an aspiration? Yeah, it was. It was kind of, it's always, it's something that I've always wanted to do, but I didn't have the confidence or the self-belief or I don't think, I, I don't feel like I thought anybody else would let me do it. It was like, it was right, I think, to do the three um, Mumsy Mum books. It was right. It was like a trilogy. And it's kind of, a, there's a weird neatness to it. It was like three books, three children. Yeah. Um, but I ran out of steam. There wasn't anything more. And as the kids get older, things become new topics and new challenges have become, become off limits for my commentary, really. I can't, you know, at some point I'm going to have three teenage boys. And let's be honest, I'm not going to have to write about that, am I? Um, yeah. So... I've sort of got to the point where I was like, I have not really got anything more to say at this stage, but I still want to keep writing. And I'm just so lucky to have a really lovely publisher who had seen, I had done some, I had started another novel years back before I wrote the A to Z. And I think I'd written like 25,000 words of it. Wow. Um, but my heart wasn't in it. I was basically writing the exact fiction version of my nonfiction kind of, struggling mum yes yeah cracking open a bottle of wine basically my life and um and even though I enjoyed the challenge of writing fiction I didn't it didn't give me the fizz I wasn't like really excited for it they were really positive and kind of like if this is what you want to do absolutely let's do it but I kind of parked it and I wrote the a to z and then I was like no I'm going to come back I'm going to write something else so it was always going to be something completely different but with a family edge so stepping up is about um a woman, Beth, who doesn't have any kids and she kind of, after a devastating family um, event, she kind of finds herself guardian to her teenage niece and toddler nephew. So she's thrown into kind of the parenting world without being a parent. Um, It's that family edge, which I feel like is a natural kind of link between my nonfiction and fiction. Um, But it's because you have experience of it, but it was different enough from yourself to stop it being a personal story completely different like um you know it's there's a bit of a love story um she befriends her elderly next door neighbor Albert so there's like a friendship story in there as well um and yeah ultimately it's kind of a story of like love and and hope and you know all of all of that stuff around the edges um but there is that family element with the kids uh, so the young her best nephew is three um nearly four so there's kind of like a wolf age child hit so it's very very different to anything I've ever written before but I, I loved it like it's probably I think it's it is probably my biggest kind of 
achievement professionally, but that's probably because so much went into it. Like, honestly, I wrote 100,000 words of the first draft and basically it was like really good try. When you start again, um, and I did just... Oh, God, ouch. Like, I, I mean, I'm always like in awe of of authors like so I'm like how do you come up with the story I know that sounds I mean I tell my kids stories but I'm like it just seems like such a huge yeah. mountain to climb yeah. it's really weird and I almost it almost doesn't feel real like now that it's happened now it's now it's finished it comes out in March but it is done like it's locked down I you know <laughs> it is completely done and um it's really weird because I'm starting again now. So I'm on a two book contract. So I'm starting novel number two. And I, oh, I'm i almost looking at it like, what? Well, it, it's like, it's like a, it's like I've a marathon and somebody, I've got to the finish line. Somebody's gone and now, you know, starting. Okay. And I'm like, what? I've, like, so um, it is weird. I almost can't believe, but that's why, I mean, I've had such a fab editing team and, it, you know, it was four drafts and, and then, yeah. And then it was, and then it was sort of, done but I've absolutely loved it it's been amazing and it definitely has given me that kind of fire in my belly back which I think maybe I was missing I was starting to get to the point where I was like I'm not sure how much I want to do this anymore and this is like the real a real like love for it passion project so yeah um, I'm very excited and do you actually get time to read because I like you know that still seems a wee wee bit in the future I mean I'm I'm hoping I'm gonna actually get to read your book but you know I think it took me like six or seven months of this year to read one book (laughs) I kind of I get into like a run of reading so I've read quite I don't know how many I've read quite I've read quite a few books this year already but I've completely like sacrificed my tv viewing and it feels quite painful like I'm I'm really unable to commit to like a series because then I'm like it's like I feel like I don't have time to to do both so I keep keep starting to watch things and then I'm like but I've started this book and it's really good and I'm too knackered to go to bed and read for an hour you know at actual bedtime so I tend to find like James will watch whatever he wants to watch on the telly and I will read and that will be like my reading time but then everybody else is saying have you seen this season three of sex education I'm like no because I'm reading a thriller I haven't I can't do all of the things I need more I need more time but yeah (laughs) Sarah has a nice like wee sort of tip given that we have quite a lot of listeners obviously have wee babies and are in that sort of stage is that if there's something you want to read when they're little I mean it's a wee bit different if you have a toddler but when they're really little just read the book that you want to read out loud to them so you know we can get all all our listeners should go and get your book in March and they can read it for their wee baby that would be amazing I can actually remember um I'm trying to think what the what the book was um I remember hearing James reading to Henry um and I was like what is he reading is it like you know the Gruffalo or whatever like he'd done like bath and bed and you know they were having a really lovely dad and dad and son bonding and I went in to see what was being read aloud and it was Roy Keane the second half <laughs> brilliant and I was like you know when you're like who is this creature no it's not that this is Gruffalo it's oh it's Roy Keane the second half what I want to know is did he do funny voices <laughs> Probably not. Um, yeah, I just kind of remember thinking, like, it's the first time parenting me was a little bit like, no, it needs to be like each peach, pear, plum, or, you know, what are you doing, James? He doesn't. I very randomly, like, 
would keep on putting on like classical like I like a bit of classical music but not really like what I would naturally listen to and when I had my first like I was like well that's like some sort of weird baby Einstein thing that's what I should be listening to it's all those shoulds and I'm so glad that I don't do that anymore because actually I think it just stressed me out more Yeah. yeah it's all those things isn't it that you think you have to do the for me the the big like pressure that I put on myself was around the like homemade purees and the I mean I've lost days of my life pureeing stuff to go in ice cube trays to be whacked out that then just gets flicked at me and um I had a phase of trying to fill those pouches that you can fill I don't know if you ever did that and I would literally just end up spattering it around the kitchen and as you say they then would go uneaten and you're like not only have I cooked this but I've like trying to desperately redecorate my kitchen it's the kind of um deterioration of your standards from first baby kind of bamboo pot and little and butternut squash puree there's probably some kind of exotic spice higher something yeah yeah yeah. to really kind of really kind of get their sophisticated (laughs) palette going because that's important yep (laughs) third baby in a stroller slurping in ella's kitchen straight out and out and you're like well you know you know what? I think that's pretty. If Ella's kitchen is quite sophisticated, I thought you were going to say like an ice pole or something. <laughs> yeah. So our letter this week was you for unmumsy, but equally you might feel undadsy or unparenty. Yeah. Such a big part of having a little one is about how it can change how you feel about yourself or how society makes you feel about yourself. And it doesn't have to be like that. The more honest we all are, like Sarah and her brilliant, brilliant books and writing, the more space there is for everyone in the parent sphere to be different. We do not and cannot all experience parenthood the same. And it would be so boring if we did. However, the more we share those different experiences, the more we also relate. It's not glossy. So let's not fucking gloss over it. It's poo and exhaustion, a terrible combination. (laughs) Sometimes it's doing crafts and feeling really proud of yourself. And sometimes it's freezer dinners and TV. It's shouting at your kids when you know better. And it's lying with them when they're sick and making them feel safe. They might be your everything, but it's okay to want a bit of nothing every now and again. Thank you so much to Sarah, the awesome and mumsy mum. If you don't follow her already, please do. I can guarantee that she will make you actually laugh out loud, not just like a lol most weeks. She's the Unmumsy Mum on Facebook and Instagram and her new book, Stepping Up, is out in March next year. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was lovely to have you. And thank you to you guys for listening. You can find us on socials too. We're at The Sleep Mums on Facebook and Instagram. There's loads more A to Z's episodes on our feed as well as plenty like 40 something that will help you and your little ones get more sleep as ever look after yourselves and sleep soon oh thank you you're a pro you're well done cool thank you (laughs) so much